turn your architectural designs into stunning, immersive experiences with Enscape. This innovative tool integrates seamlessly with your design software to bring your ideas to life in real-time 3D and VR. With Enscape, you'll experience instant rendering, have the ability to make design changes on the fly, and present your projects in stunning detail. Ideal for architects, designers, and anyone passionate about visual storytelling in architecture, dive into the new era of design visualization with Enscape. Visit Enscape3D.com to learn more. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Joyce Owens, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me here today. I know so much about you guys, so it's um, quite an honor to be sitting here on the other side and speaking instead of just listening. I'm, I'm excited that you're here. Um, you have a great story and you're doing great work and I wanna share that with the audience. Let me introduce you to anybody who may not know who you are. Joyce Owens is the principal architect at Architecture Joyce Owens, also known as Studio AJO. Uh, Joyce is the recipient of the 2022 Gold Medal of Honor awarded by the American Institute of Architects Florida chapter, recognizing her leadership and significant contributions to the architecture profession, her communities, and architecture at large. In 2020, she was awarded the organization's Medal of Honor for Design, AIA's Florida's Pinnacle Design Award, honoring her as one of the most influential architects in the state. Uh, Joyce is based in Southwest Florida, essentially ground zero for Hurricane Ian, a Category 4 hurricane that devastated the region's ecosystem, the economic system, and the built environment just this past September in 2022, uh, Hurricane Ian, I looked it up, it was is the third costliest weather disaster on record and the deadliest hurricane to strike Florida since 1935. So it was a big one. Um, I actually uh, have family in the area as well. I was down there this past winter after the hurricane, and I've never seen anything like it. It is de devastating is not even the right word. Um, as designers, as leaders, as problem solvers, architects play a vital role during these natural disasters. And I want to know, you know, uh, through this conversation, I want to talk to you, uh, Joyce, about how we can leverage our expertise as architects during these critical times, these periods of crisis, not only to help stabilize and, and rebuild the region, but also to demonstrate the value that we have as architects for all the world to see, to sort of step up and say, here we are. This is what we do. This is how we do it. And this is a great, perfect stage to not only help the region recover, but also demonstrate what architects do. And so I'm really looking forward to having this conversation with you, Joyce. Thank you. Great. Let me, let me ask you before we jump into talking about all the things that you're doing and how you're doing them um, and how you're recovering from the hurricane, because you, you are based right there. Um, I want to know more about you as an architect. I'd love for you to share your origin story going back to whenever you feel like going back to and and when and how did you discover architecture as a profession or maybe who or what inspired you to get started? Oh, okay, great. Yeah, um, I don't think I had a traditional route into architecture in that um, I thought when I was very young, I loved my animals. And so I I thought I was going to be a veterinarian, and that's what um, I had always just focused on that. So I did my math, and I did my science, and I did well in school, and I went to pre-veterinary school, and I got there, I got to college, and it took me about two or three weeks to realize that was not what I wanted to do <laughs> after all. What was and it about, about the early part of the education that made you realize that after all those years, my daughter wants to be a veterinarian. So I'm, <laughs> it's a little selfish question, but what no, was no, it that, no. that shifted the, the, your, your thoughts? I think it was, um, I had, you know, I had always had pets and I loved to ride horses and like I had, like my whole world had really been about animals. Um, but when I got to um, school, when I got to college, I went into the, the laboratory where they would do a lot of the work. Yeah. And there were big, long 
stainless steel tables with big long rubber gloves. And yeah, not cute little realization kittens. hit me that <laughs> oh, just not just about loving these animals. <laughs> this yeah. is the true nitty gritty. And I had done things like you know mucked out stables, and I mean yeah. I was used to all you know all of the dirty bits of animals too. But I just thought no, that's not how I want to spend my life though. And so um, yeah, so I stayed. Um, I was a bit lost for about a year or two. I didn't know what to do because I, yeah, I, I could imagine good at math. And, and so I kind of went down the math route. Oh, I'm going to be an accountant or I'm going to be a um, and uh, maybe an economist. So, you know, I thought maybe that's where I was headed. And then um, I went to a Catholic high school and I wasn't allowed as um, a female student to take a drafting class. Hey. I was completely discouraged. No woman had ever, no young little girl had done this, right? And so I was like all other little girls discouraged from doing the drafting class with the boys. And so I thought, well, while I'm taking all these classes, I'm going to take a drawing class. I'm going to see what that was that was in my head one day that yeah. I wanted to do that. And I'd ask the little nun, I can't remember what her name was, you know, sister or something, why can't I take that class? And so um, it was like three, four years later, and I took my first drafting class. It wasn't a design course. It was literally a, a drafting class. And I thought, oh, this is good. This is very good. This <laughs> found, is a skill I found your at. home. And, yeah. And so I was like top of the class. And I was like, oh, I really like this. I can listen to music. The weather's nice. I have the windows open. Like it was just a, it was just a great experience. Were and you I creative thought, as a child? I was. And I think that was the problem. I had forgotten. As a child, I was very artistic and very, you know, because I would, my parents said I was one of three, uh, sorry, I was one of five children, but I was the only girl. Mm -hmm. And so um, my parents were very um, clear that they didn't care what my brothers did. They didn't expect them to go to college. They didn't expect, they let them do what they wanted to do. But with me, it was, I was always told I had to go to college and I had to be a licensed professional. I had to be a doctor or a lawyer or, or a they I never heard of an architect, so I didn't know um, at the time. And so they were they always pushed me. So I was being pushed to be a doctor, and I thought, okay, that's fine, yeah. that'll work. I I'd like to be a veterinarian doctor, right? And so, right. And so uh, yeah, so that worked out really well for me. That because I, I also when, go ahead. When was it that you discovered architecture? Was it I mean, was it you know the architecture as a profession? So you took that drafting class at that point did you know that there was a profession of architecture that you could pursue and that was sort of a trial um i did know an architect one architect who was a nice handsome tall gentleman that fit the bill of an architect okay very charming man he was a friend of the family and um uh he just seemed so unattainable to me right mm -hmm. like he was an architect i didn't know what he did but i so i knew that person existed and so uh, that profession existed, but I, I didn't really know what they did. And so I went and I asked him, I talked to him then. And so the timing was good because he lived in Florida and we were coming to Florida. And so um, I had the chance to talk to him and he encouraged me. He always encouraged me then after that. He kind of watched me go through school when I went to England to work for a few years. Um, well, many years. He um, he was always there for me to you know listen to my stories about what I was doing while I was in London working. And um, so he was great. He became a great mentor as well. Yeah. yeah. How important was that relationship as a mentor to, to for where you are today? Huge, huge. Yeah. And, and I don't think he even knew any female architects, yeah. you know, and so but he just took me, like, so seriously, he just was so encouraging. And so, um, you know, I don't think it was a day to day kind of mentorship. Yeah. I had a boss that was an excellent mentor who did give me the day-to-day -day that I needed. Um, so both men, both two men were my mentors. I didn't have um, any like female role models at the time, but I did have these two men that um, were very good at, at helping me to, you know, understand what I was supposed to be doing. And so, and my boss that I worked with, um, he was great. He loved working with women. He knew there was some, there was a value in, in being a female architect. So he, yeah. he, they had hired about probably about four of us at the same time and really encouraged us to go take our exams. And we were actually the ones that were passing our exams where at the time, I don't know, maybe they didn't encourage the guys as much as they did us, but we all got licensed then. So that was great. 
yeah, very important relationship. Yeah, yeah. mentors are so important. Uh, and as as architects, you know, um, start their own firms and and become more influential in the profession, so many of us just get busy and we forget that that sort of reaching back to the to the younger generation is an important part of making sure that the that the profession thrives as we as we grow. Yeah, yeah. I I love our interns and um, I have to say as my practice grows I don't have as much time to be one-on-one with them yeah. the way I used to. Um when the business was smaller and um our interns would come in for the summer and I would give them a lot of tutoring one-to-one and I can tell you it's paid off for those people that, you know. Yeah. Get that attention from me because they were young, they were still in school, and I was, you know, really explaining to them, you know, the process of what we're doing. And, you know, the goal of um, being an intern at um, my office is no matter what level you are, I always try to get you to do a permit set of something, whatever it is, before yeah. you leave um, for, you know, after two or three months that you're trying, you know. I try to get you to understand that process of very quickly, you know, it's like doing a little charrette, right? Yeah. It's a design, you do the design, you get to work with the client, you get to, um, you know, draw it up, you get to work with the the public officials to understand the codes and so on. And and, and then, because I always figure, you know, once you understand that's your goal is to like get the design and the permits, like it's just bigger. It just happens the same way, right? right? It's yep. just bigger and bigger and more Just scale it design. up. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's kind of always one of the things that I try to get our intern to do. So um, how did how did you find your way to Florida? <laughs> my family had always um, come here in the winter because we were out, we lived outside Chicago. We lived just over the border in Indiana and they hated the cold. So we, we would come down for two or three um, weeks every Christmas and they ended up buying a um, condominium and then they ended up retiring young to um, Southwest Florida. So that's how I found my way here. I don't know if it was the first time I came here to live was to get my license. So that I knew was the right thing to do. That was a good time to be here. And I was with my family, you know, the second time I came back was after I'd been in England for 15 years. And so I came back again to be with my family because at that point I had a young son. And so I returned to my parents so he could, you know, know his grandparents better. And career wise, that was not my best decision. Because I was very, um, it was it was a bit of a cultural desert down here, and, and architecturally, um, it was a very difficult place for me to think. After having a practice in London, which was very successful, to think I could come back to small town, you know, Southwest Florida, and just be who I was there. Right. And so, I if I would have been clever about my decision or not used, you know, paid attention to my personal situation, I would have gone straight to New York and um, just carried on. But I made a decision. And it was funny because it was much harder to work in Southwest Florida than it was in London. London was much easier to to um, be successful, wow. I found. How, yeah. did, how did you end up in, in London? Um, I had a scholarship at one point. I just, I got a scholarship. So I took it after I graduated from my degree. And so I just went to do some postgraduate work and because I got the scholarship, I don't know, somebody suggested I should do it. And so I did it. And I, it was a rotary scholarship and I won the rotary scholarship. And um, it was a year to do whatever you wanted, like whatever you wanted, anywhere you wanted in the world. I know. And so um, I was hoping to go back to Italy, um, but they encouraged me not to go to Italy because I'd already lived in Italy for a year. So they wanted me to go somewhere else. And at that point it was too late. I only knew English. I couldn't I knew a little bit, I knew enough Italian that I knew I could learn it quickly, but um, I couldn't, I couldn't study in any other language. So I just ended up going to London, which was great. It turned out great because I ended up staying and starting a business and yeah, it was great. It and was you were there great. for 15 years, you said? 15 years. Yeah. And 10 of those years I had my own business. So imagine I was that young. I was like, gosh, I guess I was 33. I started my own business in another country. Yeah, that was kind and, of crazy. And ten years—I mean, that's a fully established firm and successful and doing doing work. What? Yeah. So, family brought you back? Was it that was what it was? Is that? Yeah, it was family to, that brought me could back. Come yeah. back to your parents and let your kids. Yeah. Relationship with grandma and grandpa. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. 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 No, the time in London was great, and within ten years, we were 
Um, this was the most unsurprising thing, I suppose, because I was in partnership with another woman and um, she was Turkish. So we were two foreigners, um, female foreign architects in London. And after sort of nine years, let's say, I guess, eight or nine years, we were actually um, noted by Architecture Review as one of the top 13 emerging architectural practices in the UK. Wow. So that happened very quickly for us. And then um, but we had an amazing clientele with people like um, uh, Alexander McQueen, the fashion designer. We did two, three projects for him. And uh, we did an exhibition for Vivian Westwood. Um, lots of like, got, we got involved with the fashion world and like they're very creative people. And so it was just an amazing like ride to be involved with them. So it was good. Oh, Boris Johnson, prime minister. We did his house. That was fun. Oh, wow. <laughs> so that, that must tough. have been a very difficult decision to make. Oh, it was. Oh, yeah. You still, you know, to this day, I wonder. I'm sure it was the right thing to do. Okay. But yeah, but you still, yeah. you always wonder. Did well, I, I mean, right? you have a very successful firm today and, you know, and you're hopefully you're, you're, your children have a good relationship or had a good relationship yeah. with your parents. And, and so that's yeah. a very important part of life. Um, and so, uh, you know, things happen the way they happen, right? <laughs> they do. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was, I mean, yeah, it, it, it wasn't easy at the beginning. It's not yeah. that I, I, I love being back in Florida because I do love it here. Right. Yeah. And so I'm, I would never complain about being here because I do love it here, but from a career standpoint, it did take a long time to get going. So I have to say things like getting, you know, the, the medal that you mentioned, you know, the gold medal from AIA Florida, yeah. um, that all, that all happened very quickly too, because I wasn't even here for all those years. Right. So for me to get it as quickly as I did, yeah. I think was, um, yeah. What year did you, important. did you move back to Florida? 2004. 2004. So that yeah. region has developed quite a bit in the last 20 years. Oh yeah. I mean, since I was a kid, I mean, it's just a different place. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I did similar vacationing in that area. My, my grandparents would do the similar thing that your parents did where they would go oh. down for a few, a few weeks to Fort Myers. Actually, they would spend their time in Sanibel on the island. Oh, nice. And, and then when they retired, they bought a house in Fort Myers and moved to Fort Myers. Um, and so as children, we would go down with my parents to go visit my grandma and grandpa, my nana and papa, actually. And, uh, <laughs> and we would go visit. And so that's a very special place for me as well. That, that whole area, Fort Myers, um, Sanibel, Captiva. And now my parents actually spend their winters in, in Cape Coral. And so I know that region very well. And I, I remember do. it as a child. Um, <laughs> and so I, I know how much it's changed in the last yeah. 20 years. Um, yeah. and it's changed significantly. So um, anybody who visits that area now would be like, well, there's culture and there's architecture and there's everything that you would want in, as an architect. But 20 years ago, it was a lot of farmland and, you know, yeah. it wasn't what it is today for sure. So I can imagine no. how difficult it was to, to start. It was. And at the time there was a, there was this big push to be doing Mediterranean architecture, right? Yeah. So everything was Mediterranean. I'm like, what is this Mediterranean stuff? They don't even build this in the Mediterranean. Like, what yeah. are you talking about? I was like, this is Mediterranean. In the Mediterranean, they deal, you know, they build beautiful, like, modern buildings now. I mean, yeah. I was, it was horrifying. I used to, I called it the beige, beige, beige phase, right? Everything was beige. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, a, it was, that was tricky. And so, um, one of the things I did because I was so frustrated with the situation I was in, um, was I, I, I don't know why this happens, but I often meet journalists and become friends with them. And so I had become friends with people that worked for the local newspaper. And I asked them if they would write some stories about architecture because I, I couldn't deal with the beige. And I was like, why don't we educate the public by doing this? And so I, they did try on a couple occasions some journalists would come and they would talk to me and they didn't understand um what i was trying to say they had so many questions like they were like oh i'm so interested in architecture and then they yet they had so many questions because they didn't really understand yeah like essence of what we do and i would try to say things about well we shouldn't really be designing this mediterranean look because it's really for a dry climate not for a wet humid climate 
because we have torrential rains here and yeah. high humidity and Mediterranean, you know, if there is such a thing as Mediterranean architecture or Spanish, I guess, revival, if only it was Spanish revival, because that's much nicer. <laughs> that's for a dry climate, though, right? That is not meant for, you know, being in a wet climate. And so, um, so yeah, so I ended up, so it, it kind of worked and frustrated a lot of people, the journalists. And so um, in the end, I asked um, a friend of mine um, about writing an article for the local paper. And um, she loved the idea. And so it took about six months to convince the paper that a professional could actually write about their profession to the public. Because they, their problem is, is they tried it in the past and they said that oftentimes um, a professional, any profession, okay, will yeah. write in their own architect, whatever in their own professional speak, right? right. And so, yeah, communicate to the public. And so, so they, they said they would try it out. And so I did it for about four years, I guess. I had a monthly column. It was a sweet name. She gave me the name called Architect About Town, which I thought was a very clever title. And yeah. so um, I really, um, yeah, I like being Architect About Town. It was fun. And so I had a following and it was good. And so that was a really nice platform for me to be um, trying to talk about architecture. And really what I was saying, like, it took me many months to get there. But what I wanted to say was like, let's go back to the early history of Florida architecture and let's see what the early inhabitants did in this very harsh climate and how did they live before and so we kind of like month by month I, I you know sort of took us through the different building yeah. type and then um, my goal was always to get to mid-century architecture because I find a lot of merit in mid-century for this climate because yeah. the mid-century architects the good ones of the time really understood that we were in this wet climate wet and hot climate. And so they really designed their buildings to accommodate that climate, as well as look back at some of the early, like I went back as far as the Indians, right? And um, the the cheeky hut and so on. And to, a lot of the principles of good mid-century architecture are based on those principles. And so it was, it was, I was trying to like bring up an evolution, like, okay, now we did mid-century and then it went off the rails, right? With, with this Mediterranean beige and then like let's pull it back and let's go let's find a new kind of vocabulary that we can use today because we have better technology than they had in the mid-century um to create buildings that are really appropriate for here and they don't have to all be modern flat roofed i mean you know a lot of times a hip roof in our climate is like the best roof you can get because not only is it great for getting the rain off but it's also fabulous for redirecting um wind around it without pulling it off in a hurricane, right? So there are there are many um, kind of nuances to, to um, design in this climate that um, I was trying to talk about. And yeah. so it was great. I got to talk about my mentor when he passed away. I actually got two months in a row, I got to write about him and do a nice kind of um, two column obituary on his behalf. Loads of people knew him and loved yeah. him. I got a huge response for that. And, uh, yeah, it was good. It was fun. It was a fun time. And you've, you've really dedicated much of your career from that point forward to educating the public about what architects do and the value of architecture in our world. You've, you've, um, you've volunteered at AIA National, right? Um, I, all the way through, all the way up through my local chapter, through the state where I got to be president of the state and then on to national. And until last year, I was on the public um, outreach committee, which was absolutely my favorite committee to be on. Yeah. So, and, and so it all started with those articles that you saw the, the benefit of, of our, those articles of sharing your knowledge with the general public at their level so they can understand what we do. Um, and I love that story because I think all architects should be doing that, not necessarily writing articles, but sharing their story in their own way. Um, right. sharing, sharing their expertise so our general public uh, can understand what we do and see the value in what architects bring to the Absolutely. world. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it, it actually started one step before that. And um, yeah. it was a time when I was um, with my business partner in England, I, I told you, um, another woman, and we had finished our first project and we had professionally, we had gotten, we had it professionally photographed. And um, she called me on the phone and said, the proofs are back. And she said, it's unbelievable. 
she's like, we're real architects. Like we look like the real deal. These are beautiful photographs. And we really, this, this is something, you know, you got to come over here. And so I came to see her to see the proofs. And um, she says, oh my God, we're going to get published in architects, um, you know, journal and the RIBA journal. And I said, why would we do that? <laughs> and, and she's like, well, because these are beautiful. And I said, we don't want to go there. We want to be in vogue. And she's like, vogue, why would we be in vogue? I go, oh, interesting women with talent that created something beautiful. Right. So, um, she just looked at me and smiled and she was just like, absolutely. That's what we want to do, you know? And to me, it was almost like I wanted people to see what architects did. And um, I also needed to probably get the next job because that was our first job that we needed more work <laughs> too. And we weren't going to get it being published to the architects. So yeah. Probably. I mean, it's it's so, nice to have your work yeah. published for, for other architects to admire and see and, and, and the glory that all comes with that. But it doesn't yeah. do a whole lot for your business. Yeah. It doesn't do a whole lot for yeah. our world other than, you know, sharing our architecture with other architects. And so. Right. Right. Which I is love... like, there is value in that, but I, for sure. yeah, I would definitely put my energy on, on the public instead because that's where the work is going to come from and yeah. and the appreciation of what we do and you know and you know the more like to the public that's you know another opportunity for them to uh, the public to read that and to hire another architect so you know what i mean it's not just for yeah. me that i'm doing it it's for all right right because i feel it's so important yeah yeah and, and that's that's exactly what i want to to share is that that as much as we're doing and as much as, as, as it's difficult to run our own businesses and be an architect, um, it, it, it benefits us all if we take on some role of sharing the work that we do and the importance of what we do and our expertise. Let's take a quick break to say thank you to our sponsors for their support of this episode. Accurate data is crucial especially in today's business environment. Outdated and inaccurate data leads to turnarounds, delays, and rising costs. With supply chain and staffing issues, these costs and delays can multiply. That's why a resource like RCAT.com is so important. RCAT works with manufacturers to keep their data up to date and accurate and offers it to you easily accessible and free. Use RCAT's powerful search engine to find what you need fast and download it right there on their site without needing to pay for anything. It's free. So go try rcat.com today. That's A-R-C-A-T.com. Please visit our sponsors today and thank them. Thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. And you've recently, you know, you've done all of this and gone through national and, and has been, been on the, um, the committee at national level. Um, but with the hurricane, you and I have talked offline before, um, that has also given you some opportunities to sort of share your knowledge and, and leverage your expertise in designing sustainable and resilient, uh, architecture in that region that, that, that you can see in that region. If you just, all you have to do is tour one of those areas that were hit by the hurricane and you can see the homes that were resilient and they were built to modern standards and the homes that weren't. Right. Um, and, and the sustainability also with the way modern architecture is designed versus the way uh, architecture was designed in the past, uh, especially through those, those Medi Mediterranean periods, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, with the, probably... with the EFIS and all of the terrible stucco that was done in the wet climates. Yeah, you can imagine that not only rotted, molded, fell off, but if it, you know, if it was still hanging after these years, it was all blown off, you know, right. the wind. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. What's happened is through the articles that I was writing about designing for this place, okay, and this region, um, I, you know, I was also educating myself more and more all the time about what's better and talking to people and getting experts in to explain about the various things. And so I was getting better and better at it as well. And so there is a momentum once you become an expert in whatever it is you're an expert in. And so journalists did find me and would ask me, you know, to do work with them on a piece, an article. And so they would 
call me and ask me. And, and most of the time, interestingly, I would always talk about energy efficiency and how if we design appropriately for here, we have to use our air conditioners less because it's really hot here, right? And so what we don't want to do is waste all our energy for no reason when if you design just simple passive um, you know, design ideas, you can just save so much in energy. And so I would talk to journalists about that and so on. And so, and interestingly, we are, my practice has really started, um, I call myself a coastal architect now because we, while we do a lot of work in town, most of our work is really on the island and um, where it's become best known is really on coastal properties. So right on the Gulf of Mexico. So there's an expertise not only in building and understanding the materials and the quality of the materials that have to be used in salt air, um, but also the permitting, which is extensive once you're building on the coast, because not only are you raising up higher, but you have to build stronger. And um, and so that, you know, you don't you don't want your buildings to get blown away, nor do you want the floodwaters to knock the buildings over. And yeah. so. Um, it seems more in the past couple of years, while I was learning about all of these things and I was building according to what I was learning, I wasn't even talking about the resiliency part of it. I was talking more about the sustainability and the climate part yeah. when I wasn't focusing on the resiliency. And so, I don't know, maybe a, a couple year and a half ago or so, I just started realizing like the resiliency component of what we were doing and um, I gave a couple talks about things like that to the local public about the resiliency. I even have a great slideshow when I'm talking about hurricanes and how we should build, you know, these buildings stronger. And um, and then sure enough, when the hurricane came and all of the buildings that my firm had designed were still standing where yeah. the rest of the island is, you know, devastated and, you know, it's like, well, why are these buildings still standing? And so um, that even that got a lot more attention then because we were um, doing that. So um, it was great. We started to um, we immediately started an Instagram kind of blog about resiliency uh, mm -hmm. and talking about that. And so, sorry, we have a little friend that came to visit me right now. We have a cat on the screen. <laughs> we have a cat here. She's very sweet. What's and her so name? Her name is Sophia. Hello, Sophia. Yeah, she's, <laughs> she's a love bug. Yeah. And so um, so we started doing the Instagram account and talking about this resiliency. And that that just snowballed into um, you know, journalists that had spoken to me in the past were calling and just even if they weren't writing a story, they were just using um us as sort of a reference. Yeah. You know, like these architects know what they're doing and they know better than other people in the community, what's just happened? Why did this stand? Why did this get knocked down? And um, and so as well as a lot of that going on in the, in the background, we've also, you know, recently got invited to be, I was really surprised to be the keynote speaker at a building science seminar, mm -hmm. which normally focuses on um, mold and like mechanical systems and um, lots of, um, aspects of dealing with the climate down here and how our buildings, you know, they either have to breathe or they can't breathe. Right. And like what works and what doesn't work, you know, what do we foam our attics? Do we, what do we, you know, all the, all these various kind of important things about learning to build down here, which is making our buildings better and better down here. Yeah. But um, I actually got to talk about this resiliency side of things where, we're designing the buildings, you know, from below ground all the way up to the roofs, so that they withstand the hurricanes. And so that was quite an honor for me as the architect to be up there because it's not there's only a few architects in the um, audience typically. And but to be in front of all these experts, you know, that are known around the country for their expertise and to be able to talk about it. So, yeah, and, that's a perfect example of leveraging your expertise, right? Yeah. And and through through the work that you're doing, sharing your knowledge uh, at a at a public level, not to other professionals, um, yes. you make a difference. You start start educating the public. You start educating journalists. Then they start knocking yeah. on your door, saying, "Hey, we want to know what you know. Maybe you can come yeah. speak to our organization." Now you're speaking to the builders who are now also interested in what you're doing. Um, 
which then results in business, right? You start, people start knocking on your door because now you're an expertise. That's, they the, want. that's the hope. Okay. That's the hope. Yes. No, it, it does turn into that. And it's been, you know, after the storm, um, we definitely have the reputation as the coastal architects, which I started saying, you know, like I said, like a year and a half ago, because I'm like, oh, this resiliency thing is a big deal. I, you know, we're going to call ourselves coastal architects now so that they come to us to do those buildings right. on the beaches, right? So that like, if we're known as the coastal architects, they'll, they'll come to us. I think that, um, oh, I was going to say something else though about, um, oh, I, 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 you know, like we're talking um, in my instance, that is my expertise now, right? That's right. what I'm, I'm known for. Um, I, I want to hope too, we're also known for doing, you know, nice buildings as well. Good right. Buildings, right. So Great design. I, <laughs> as well, because I don't want to just, I don't want clients, you know, to think I, that's what I'm all about. Like it's super superficial, right? It's, it's not just a pretty building. It's actually, you know, a building that's stronger and smarter. Um, and so, because it actually does work in our climate. Um, I think one of the things I learned um, in the last few years working with the AIA is talking to so many different architects from around the country to have that um, opportunity is that this is my expertise, but there are so many things that architects do in their right. communities, which is mind blowing to me how influential they are and how they are so willing to give their time and their energy to make their communities better. And um, this was best known when um, Mark Levine and I, who was one of the board members, did a talk together at, at what at the AI National Grassroots last year, and um, it was about communicating the value of the architect. And um, it was quite incredible to be able to hear the stories that people were telling us about what they had just done, and you know, and how they had made a contribution. And then it was like the question was, well, who else did? Who else learned about that? Oh, it was just the mayor and I talking, you know. Right. And or it was just this focus group that I belong to and how we brought this thing out of the ground. And, you know, we were able to help with some master plan that we volunteered our time for. And it's like and you didn't tell anyone that you did this, <laughs> you know, and they're like, well, we don't know who to tell. And it's like or they're so busy doing the work that they forget to tell people that that's what they're doing. And I think they're the stories just were endless. And I. I think that was the biggest frustration of that talk, not by us, but by the people that were attending it, yeah. was that they felt that the general public didn't find the value in architecture or in an architect, despite the fact that they would be out there helping them and, you know, making their contribution. Um, then at that point, then they would say, they would say, oh, you can help us with that. We didn't know that was right. something an architect did. And so um, I think that's a very valuable lesson that I learned is that I, once I received the gold medal, that was kind of my resolution after that was like, okay, I've, I've received the gold medal, but what do I do with it? And so that became one of my goals is to actually really focus. Although I had always focused on that, it was to even put more effort yeah. into that idea of, um, you know, asking architects, you know, to, to go out and to spread the word and to tell their stories. Just, it doesn't matter who you tell, but just don't be afraid to tell it. Right. Don't yeah. forget to the, uh, I was in front of, it was the design awards for AIA Florida. And so um, it, it was in a big room. It's a gala. It's a nice big event. And then I'm the last one to receive the award because it's the gold medal. And so that's what I did. And, you know, I said, thank you to everyone. And then I said, okay, now it's your turn. You know, yeah. like here, this is, you're the best of the best in Florida, right? Take this home with you. Like you're whatever you've just received this award for. And I, I don't mean to like, it's not just I've won an award, but why did you win that award? Right. You know, what is Share your expertise. Award? Yeah. Yeah. So I, that was the beginning of, you know, like me really deciding that I'm really going to make this like my next goal. And so, yeah. yeah. That's your mission now. That's my mission. Well, it's always been my mission, but now yeah. it's like, now this is really my mission. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and and then the hurricane came and then it really, 
really gave me yet another platform, which I didn't even think to talk about, right? Yeah. But like all the architects, we there's just so much more, you know, than a pretty building. So yeah, and I think you know, the, I think the pretty building is the expected part. I think our, the general yeah. public does already expect us to design well. Yeah. Um, it's the rest of the stuff that they don't know we do, no. right? It's and and that's the story we need to tell is what do we do every day? Right? What are our expertise um, that we that we what's what's our contribution to the world beyond the well-designed buildings yes exactly and you know like like the buildings i design like they're more than pretty buildings right and so yeah i think that's yeah it's a it's a really important lesson that no one tells you about along the way you yeah. know when you go to school or whatever and why i ever thought of that moment when i said no we want to be in vogue right vogue I don't yes. care about those. I, love it. I don't care what those architects think. And I wish more architects would think that way, you know, would be less interested in getting the glory, you know, from their peers um, and more interested in telling their story. I think we'd all benefit more if we each told our story. And and truthfully, it's more fun to get the glory from the public. <laughs> <laughs> it is very rewarding. Yes. It yeah. is very rewarding. It is. It's, it's very humbling as well to be recognized for something you're good at. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for, for doing what you do and for sharing your story. Um, I'd, I'd love to, to ask my final question that I ask all my guests. Um, so we get your, your take on this. What would you say is one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? Um, well, I think it's very much related to yeah. um, what I'm talking about. I think that a small business really needs to look for those opportunities to tell their story. Whether it's at an, you know, a public event where you can be the speaker and talk about something you're passionate about, because every time you're passionate about something, it comes through. And um, you know, as architects, we are inherently loved by the community. Yeah. I mean, generally by the not by developers, or <laughs> <laughs> but by the general public. We're, yeah. we're generally. You know, I don't know an architect that hasn't said to someone, what do you do for a profession? And um, and if you say, I'm an architect, they don't say, oh, there's always this moment. That's amazing. You know, yeah, very and well respected, very well respected. And so I don't know why we don't capitalize on that, because then if you ask them the question, like, do you know what I do? Then they come up blank. They don't know what we do. Right. But yet they're but we're so respected. I mean. Who else gets that kind of glory, right? Without doing anything, I don't know. <laughs> so yeah. we're we're in a great position. And, but and, I do the um, you know, once you do invest yourself in trying to find opportunities, and say a journalist calls you, um, I think the best advice I can give you is call them back immediately, yeah. right? Don't forget to call them back, and don't wait. If they need something, you drop what you're doing and you get it because yeah, they they're on a deadline. And they need their answer. And so right. you can't wait a week to give them an answer because they'll go find somebody else that will. And I suppose that's one thing is that I've always known that secret. And so they do come to me because they know they'll get an answer right away. And so I'm very, I, I do make them a priority in my life. It doesn't take long, yeah. you know, but I, I, I think making that a priority in your business to, to go out and find somewhere to tell your story is very important. Even if it's telling your family, you know, what you do at the dinner table. Don't yeah. be afraid to tell them, let them know what you're doing. Cause That's great advice. The And and one of the things that I had done in the past, similar to what you just said, is I, I actually looked at the articles that are being written in the home magazines and the, and the newspapers and seeing who is writing them and then reached out to them and said, hey, I'm an architect and I could be a resource for you. Here's my information. If you ever have uh -huh. any questions, I'm here for you. And I would get calls yes. all the time. And then once you do it, like you said, once you do it once and they know that you're a good resource and they'll, they'll come back because right? yeah. they know that you'll answer the question quickly. They'll give you the information. You'll give them the other resources that they need to look at. Um, it saves them lots of time and gives yeah. them the information they need. And every time you do that, they write your name and their firm in the That's article. right. That's so it's right. free publicity. It's, it's, a, it's a great strategy uh, and it's a great way to share your story. 
Um, yeah, I, I had a journalist friend once. Um, I had her asked her to do a like a seminar for me when I was president at AI Florida, yeah. and so I asked her to do one of our um, um, you know seminars at convention, and um, she titled it "Why Don't You Ever Call Me?" <laughs> yeah, and, great. Uh, and she said, "Architects yeah. never call me. Like I'm always looking for a story." She was a freelance writer. And you know, mostly she wrote about travel, but she always wanted to write about architecture. And so it's like, why don't you? Why, why don't we call them? Like you just said, right? Like that's our opportunity. You know, yeah. they're out there. I mean, on the internet today, you know, content is king, right? And so those poor people that are writing, they got they got to have content. So yeah. they they would like your story. So yeah, that's that's great advice. And and imagine what we could do. If thousands of architects took your advice and they went out and just did one thing, right? Yes. If they, they listened to this episode and they went out and they did one thing and 10,000 architects this week went out and shared their story. Imagine the impact that would have on our profession. Just that one, one yeah. step, right? Right. And so don't, don't think that, that your little story doesn't make a difference because it's cumulative. It's cumulative for you, but it's also cumulative for the profession. The more we all do this, the more the story is written and the more the story is told uh, and our profession, the value of what we do as architects is communicated. And it's then, then that story starts being told by the public. Like, here's what I know. This is what architects do. And then over time that, that will change, right? That's a very common complaint that architects have is that the public doesn't know what we do. They don't know the value of an architect. Well, that's because you're not telling their, your story. <laughs> exactly. So it's not the not AIA's job. It's not any professional organization's job. It's your job. It you is. have to tell your story. And so Joyce, I appreciate you for telling your story, sharing your story here at the Entree Architect podcast. Thank you for your dedication to this profession. Uh, and and helping this profession tell their stories through all these years, being a, a great role model and and demonstrating how to do it. Uh, I, I appreciate you uh, for coming by here today. Um, if you want to learn more about Joyce, the company is Architecture Joyce Owens or AJO. Uh, you can learn more at our website, architecturejoyceowens.com. Go there and say thank you. Uh, Joyce, thank you. Thank you for all you do. And I appreciate you for coming by here and sharing your knowledge at Entree Architect Podcast. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's such a great opportunity and so much a part of like my mission, you know, to get this story out. So this is this is a dream come true to be here telling you my story today. So well, thank, thank you. you. I'm glad that you came. I'm glad that you're sharing your story. And if there's anything we can do, you just let us know and we'll we'll get it out there. If you liked this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, please share a rating, write a review, and share a link to this episode with a friend. I know I say this every episode, but I'd really love for you to send me some feedback. Share a rating, write a review, however you want to do that. And please share a link to this episode with a friend. Just send it off in an email. Say, hey, take a listen to this episode of Entree Architect Podcast because that is how Entree Architect has grown to serve thousands more architects just like you. I appreciate it. Share a rating, write a review, and share a link to this episode with a friend. Thank you to all our sponsors for this episode. Links to all our sponsors and all the resources that we discussed today in this episode are available at the show notes for this episode and all the episodes can be found at entrearchitect.com slash podcast entrearchitect.com slash podcast. Entree Architect is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. That's the media network that's dedicated to architects, engineers, and construction pros. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. If you like this podcast, if you like Entree Architect podcast, I think you'll love all the podcasts at Gable Media. Go check them out at gablemedia.com. My name is Mark Arlapage. Thank you for listening to this episode of Entree Architect Podcast. I appreciate you. Love, learn, and share what you know. Are you NCARB certified yet? Join the network of over 45,000 architects who have the NCARB certificate to expand your professional reach. 
By becoming NCARB certified, you are demonstrating that you've met the national standards for licensure, a qualification that can be an important factor for firms when hiring and promoting. Certificate holders have a streamlined path to apply for a reciprocal license in all 55 U.S. jurisdictions, as well as access to an extensive library of free continuing education courses. Learn more today at ncarb.org. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it guys. Oh my One that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.